We are jumping back into the gospel according to John this morning. Uh, it's been my practice of studying through books. We've been doing this now since the very inception of Springs Press, and as far as I'm concerned, it's the best way of feeding you as much of the Word of God as I can on as, on as much of a regular basis uh, as I can. Now, in chapter 7, we've already begun, and we understand now that Jesus and his disciples are back in Jerusalem yet another time. This time, they're celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles. And we understand that that was something that every male child was required to do, to appear in Jerusalem at, uh, at, the, at the temple uh, three times a year. And one time was for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so they are there for that particular purpose. And we understand this, that if Jesus had not appeared there even one time when he was supposed to, that you and I would not have a Savior. That he kept the law perfectly and absolutely in every facet, constantly and continually. Jesus was there to celebrate God, but at the same time he was there for every one of us. A couple of things uh, of great importance are beginning to happen at this time. You know, Jesus is becoming more and more public in his ministry, really came to a height as we studied through chapter 6 in, uh, in John's gospel with the feeding of the 5,000, a lot more public, a lot more people, a lot more of an effect, far-reaching effect upon uh, things going on. We know that he's ministered a number of times in Jerusalem uh, already. Uh, but some things are beginning. The tension, I hope you get this when we, we read the chapter in just a minute, that the tension, there's a growing tension that's getting more and more intense. And the reason for that is this, is because Jesus is becoming more and more popular with the people. His teaching is having a far more reaching impact and effect upon the people but at the same time, the resistance from the Pharisees and the other, other religious leaders is also intensifying. Both things going on simultaneously, and, and we understand why the second one is taking place. It's because of this great popularity that Jesus is gaining among the people. There's a sense in which it's... it's is promoted by nothing other than jealousy on the part of leaders. But anyway, we're going to read this morning uh, from chapter 7, beginning with verse 31 and running to the end of the chapter. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering uh, these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? 
On the last day of the feast, a great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of the heart, his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the spirits, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law uh, is that does not know the law is a curse. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So as the ministry of Jesus advances, many, many more are being awakened to the truth from their dead orthodoxy of first century Judaism. More and more people are beginning to conclude that Jesus is God's long-promised and awaited Messiah. And one of the greatest things that attests to this were the miracles that was Jesus was doing. It became obvious to just about everyone that, uh, that anyone that could do the things that Jesus was doing at the same time to say the things that Jesus was saying had to be someone that was sent from God. And so they began to wonder exactly who he was. And I want to remind us of something. This is how John ends his gospel. He says this. Now, now uh, there are also many other things that Jesus did were, were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I want to remind us this morning that we just have snapshots of the ministry of Jesus. That Jesus was doing far more than we have shown us here in the gospels. We only have snapshots of particular events in the life and times of Jesus and the apostles. Not an absolute and complete exhaustive record of everything that Jesus ever said and everything that Jesus ever did. Far more was said and far more was done. People were confronted with Christ and they had to do something with him. And his audience was growing more and more in size all the time. So the question was, what are we going to do with this Jesus? Well, we know what the conclusion was for the Pharisees. And that is that he was a troublemaker. 
He was causing trouble. Trouble for them. <laughs> and they didn't like it. Because he was teaching things that the people never would have heard from any of them. And not only do that, he's doing unbelievable, miraculous signs. Remember the feeding of the 5,000 and all the other miracles that resulted as, uh, as a consequence of that. The healing of the man at Bethesda and all the other things that he's done. The turning of water into wine all the way back in chapter 2. The healing of the official's son in chapter 4. And again, those are just a few of examples of things that have transpired in the life and ministry of Jesus at this early point in his ministry. More and more people are turning to him. And therefore, he is getting more and more attention by the religious leaders of the Jews. The simple fact that not everyone and possibly even a great many of people were not coming to Christ attest to the reality of the depravity of the fallen human heart. Something that every person has in common with every other person. That even when confronted with the miraculous even when hearing the very words coming forth from the mouth of God himself. Some people were broken and softened and made ripe for his message of the gospel. But at the same time, it had a hardening effect upon other people. But even there, there was hope, because if you can remember the guy named Nicodemus, who was he? He was a Pharisee. And we know that in the end, that Nicodemus will be one of the ones who looks after the body of Jesus after he is crucified. So we understand that God has a long arm and it goes where he ever wishes for it to go. And he is capable of laying claim to anybody and everybody. But when he does that, when he really does that, there is a life that is changed as a consequence of it. What was of great importance before is no longer of greatness. What was of not great importance now becomes central to everything. On hearing what the people were saying about Jesus and not liking it, the chief priests and the Pharisees attempt to, to make their first formal action against him. They send officers of the court to arrest him based upon what charge? Who knows? 
that they send these guys to arrest him and they come back empty-handed. We don't know anything about them. But we know that Jesus, by the end of the day, had a profound effect upon those men. Maybe they were satisfied to some degree when he said, I will be with you a little longer. Maybe their whole thinking is, well, he's only going to be here a little longer and he's going to be gone pretty soon, so why bother arresting him? He's going to be out of everyone's way and, 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 and whatever. We won't have to go through all of this. Maybe that had a little bit to do with it. But maybe it was a lot more than that. That when Jesus spoke, they heard. And here again, we have Nicodemus, a Pharisee himself. An upstanding Pharisee. Jesus is moving in this man. He's different. You can understand people begin to say, well, who is he? You know, he, who, who, who can do things like this? Who says what this man says? What teacher have we ever had that's anything like him? Jesus has said that he's going to go away. He's only going to be here for a little while longer. And they begin to wonder, what in the world does that mean? They begin to speculate. Does it mean that he's going to go out into the dispersion of the Jews? I don't know if you understand what that means, the diaspora. But we understand that uh, the Jews, in part, were driven out of the promised land by the, the Assyrians and the, the Babylonians, you know, early on and sent to other places. And, uh, and, and those sorts of things happened more and more, and people, the, Jew, the Jewish people left and went to other places, and they were more dispersed in the known world uh, at that time. And they're speculating, maybe Jesus is going to go out there into the diaspora and kind of hide himself away so that he's not in trouble anymore. But we understand, this is, see, this is the advantage that you and I always have when it comes to studying these Bible things, that we know the rest of the story. We know what happens after this. And what Jesus is alluding to here is his crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven. That's what he means when he says he's going to be going away. And let me just say this this morning. It's a good thing that he did. If Jesus was still here in the world, then you and I, in essence, would still be lost in our sin. He went back to heaven for a reason, and one of the reasons was to certify our salvation. To become our heavenly advocate. That right now in heaven, he is your representative. He speaks on your behalf. 
He pleads your case. He is there for us. Well, I'm sure that the Jewish leadership was used to making threats and those threats making a difference. Most of the time, they probably only had to say to people, you need to stop doing that, and if you don't, you're going to be in trouble with us, and that would be the end of the story as far as Jewish people go. But it seems to have no effect upon Jesus whatsoever, as if he completely ignores their charges. The Jewish authorities were hoping that they would have the effect of silencing him. But it does the exact opposite. Rather than being silenced, Jesus speaks out even more boldly than he was before. He says things like, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Reminds you very much of the words that he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well back in chapter 4. And we understand that Jesus is not literally talking about water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being given. And I would say to you that even though he's there, not necessarily in your face, he's been there all along. We saw that revealed in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus earlier in chapter, uh, the earlier chapters. Where he talks about being born again and he makes it very clear that you must be born by the Spirit of God. So I want you to understand something. The Holy Spirit has been there working with Jesus all along. He's just not been made himself publicly known so much yet. Some people would say to you, the Holy Spirit's not even here yet. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And up to that point, the Holy Spirit was not a part of this. But I'm telling you, that just is not biblical. That the Holy Spirit has been here with Jesus all along, working with Jesus in the background. And it's only later on that the Holy Spirit will come out more publicly, in a sense. But what we know is this, is Nicodemus is where Nicodemus is because the Holy Spirit is already working in him. And he, the Holy Spirit will bring him through and, the, and Nicodemus will come to faith in Jesus Christ out of the midst of these Pharisees. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit much in our denomination. Some denominations, that's all. In some churches, that's all they want to talk about is the Holy Spirit is just the central part of everything. But sometimes I think we don't speak about the Holy Spirit enough. And I will remind us this morning that if we truly believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives inside of us. 
And probably one of the best things that you and I could ever do for ourselves is learn more and more how to lean upon that Holy Spirit. There's a sense in which believers become a conduit through which the Holy Spirit moves outward. Now let me tell you something. I was talking with someone years and years ago and they made this statement. It made me cringe. <laughs> I'm serious. I was like, oh my goodness. I can't, I can't believe you said that and I hope what you said certainly is not true. This person said to me, I think pastors are like conduits through which God moves. Man, if that's what a pastor is, then I'm in the wrong business. You know, where do you come up with that? And that doesn't mean that God doesn't move in people in a way that other people see and they're encouraged and strengthened by it and that sort of That's not what I'm saying. It's almost like this person had the idea that, that it's through pastors that God disseminates everything. And I'm going, no, 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 no. We're just people, fallen people, broken people just like you are. You need Jesus just as much as you do. The Holy Spirit, my friends, is in essence a conduit for us when it comes to God. And when the Holy Spirit indwells someone, then His presence is always manifest. It's not like He's in there in some hidden closet under the stairwell and He stays there forever. It only comes out on rare occasions. He is active in us always. If you feel like you are maturing as a Christian, the only ground you possibly have for that is to understand that the Holy Spirit is causing you to grow in your understanding and your maturity as a Christian. Well, obviously at this point, people are concluding totally different things about Jesus. The Pharisees, he's a troublemaker and we need to get rid of him. Except for Nicodemus. And maybe more. But other people are coming to an understanding that Jesus indeed is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. So I'm concluding that he's the prophet. Now you notice that there's an article there, the prophet. Not a prophet, he's the prophet. They're speculating that he is the prophet that Moses said, that there would be a prophet like me, that God would send. 
And you and I understand that that is the truth, that Jesus is that prophet. But it's not, it's not the only thing that Jesus is. He is that perfect and absolute prophet that God sends. But that title does not encompass everything that he is and everything that he does. Some are concluding that he was the Christ, which just simply means the anointed one, the, the, the equivalent the, uh, of the Hebrew Messiah. Which we know that he was. And we know that he is. But they're confused. They may not know a whole lot, but they do know this. They know that the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem, and this fellow is a Galilean. He comes from Nazareth. So how could he possibly be the Christ? Well, you and I know the answer to that question, right? Because we know that Jesus was of the house of David and that Jesus was literally actually born in Bethlehem, even though that's not where he lived. But what you're seeing here is this, is as Jesus becomes more active and more public, is there is a major division beginning to form within the ranks of the people. Those who are against him and those who are for him. Well, everyone that is confronted with Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, must do something with him. Really. Everyone. C.S. Lewis made famous the idea that everyone who comes to knowledge of Jesus must conclude that he is either a lunatic, a liar, or he's actually a Lord. The only three options. I would propose that there might actually be somewhat of a fourth option. And that would be to simply ignore him. Hoping that maybe he will just simply go away. And I would say that because I would tell you that's where I was before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I was more or less indifferent to him. And I was more or less indifferent to Christians. I didn't hate Christians. I didn't actively persecute Christians. I just didn't agree with Christians. And I chose to ignore And I would imagine that that really is more of an accurate measure of where a lot of the people in the unbelieving world are today. They know something of Jesus. They've heard something of Jesus. But they choose to ignore it. And I'd say today, though, when I was an unbeliever, I don't think I hated Jesus. I didn't love Jesus. need to understand that. But I wouldn't classify what I felt 
as hatred of Jesus or hatred of God or hatred of Jesus lovers or hatreds of God lovers. I just thought all of you Christians were just dumb. You You didn't have enough sense to, 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 to think through all the issues and come to the most logical conclusion. And that was obviously to me that God is an impossibility. And so that throws everything else out the window. I didn't need God. My science became my God. We all know that God managed to turn all of that on its head. And what I would say to you today is this, is that science, if you want to know what science actually uh, accomplishes as far as God goes, it demands, it screams that there must in fact be a God, a creator. Don't buy into this lie that science and scientific people today are trying to propagate this idea that we have now scientifically demonstrated that God doesn't exist. That is a lie from the pit of hell. If you really take science at face value, what you would have to conclude, there must be a force behind this. There must be an intelligent being behind all of this. Otherwise, none of this could possibly be. Well, think about this. There are people in the world today who have never heard one single thing about Jesus. But at the same time, there are lots of people who have. We could almost be to the point now that, that most of the people in the world would have to say that they've at least heard something about Jesus. But we all understand that it means far more than just knowing some things, some facts about Christ. It means acknowledging him, not only as your Savior, but also as your Lord. A life that is transformed through that relationship that you have with him. If you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, it will, in fact, be reflected in your life. It must be. It has to be. So I want to close this morning with a question for you. It may be the most important question you ever hear me ask you. That question is this. Who do you say Jesus is? What is he to you? Those are the most important questions we could ever ask another person. And let me tell you, when we ask those questions, sometimes we're not going to like what we get. 
But I promise you that will not always be the case. There are people out there waiting for you and for me to speak. Because we have the greatest message there is. We have the message that the world desperately needs. We cannot keep it to ourselves. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning.